Uh, Today we're going to start off in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's the same verse we're using for the rest of the month. It says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this this verse has a lot to unpack in it, and we're not going to unpack all of it. We could talk about the child and the son. We could talk about the government being on his shoulders. Those are all good things to to focus on. But today, uh, for for this series, we're just focusing on these names. And and last week we told you that the names that are that are portrayed here are not physical, literal names. He's not walking around with the "Hello, my name is Mighty God." Right? That's not his actual name. These are characteristics of who he is. And so, understanding that last week, we talked about the fact that he was or is the wonderful counselor. And we talked about how, as you and I go through anxiety and fear and discouragement, that that the Holy Spirit wants to counsel with us, that Jesus counsels with us through his spirit, through his people, uh, through his word. And then today, we're going to focus on the words, mighty God. The word mighty in this this, uh, terminology, in the Hebrew, it, it doesn't just mean strong. It doesn't just mean strong. It was funny this morning. We were, we were getting ready to, to pray, and we're going to get ready to open the doors and let everybody come in. And, and as, we're, as we're about to pray, they, they always ask me, hey, give us a little preview of the message that you're going to preach. And so as I'm giving a little preview, I'm talking about mighty. And I said, I said, the word mighty doesn't just mean mighty. But as I said that, all of a sudden, my son is stretching, and he's stretching like this. I said, are you flexing when I say mighty? You want to show off his guns? Um, but the word mighty doesn't just mean strong. It doesn't mean just showing off your muscles. The word mighty here actually means, um, it technically means mighty in hunting, which I love. As a redneck, I absolutely love the fact that Jesus is described as a hunter, right? That makes me feel good, Cam. I'm sure it makes you feel good. Um, we love hunting. And it says this, it's an attribute for the Messiah fighting for his people. In other words, it's not just a matter of he is strong. It's a matter that he hunts out our enemies in fights on our behalf. When we read mighty, we're not just saying our God is strong. We're saying our God fights for us. Our God stands between us and the enemy and is willing to hunt the enemy down to protect me. So today, as we begin to read that, we need to understand that. Another version of that word, another uh, 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 illustration of it is the word champion. And and the word champion means different things than than it does to us. Yesterday, all of you Bama fans, you you have a champion, an SEC champion, right? And you're excited about that. Go on, get it out. Go on, do it. If you're going to do it, do it. This uh, This morning, someone came up to me and they said, they said the RT words. I don't say those words. And they shook my hand and said that. I said, you're right. The oceans are still working. It's, you're correct. I preached a wedding yesterday. And as I'm preaching the wedding, I look out over the crowd. And all the women are sitting there watching, you know, and wiping a little tears. This sweet little ceremony. And all the men are down like this. Just, re, just looking at their phones, watching the game. But a champion isn't just someone that wins something. As a matter of fact, biblical terms, a champion, you need to think back to the story of David and Goliath. If you don't remember that story, you've got the Israelites um, versus the Philistines, and the Philistines had a champion. They had one man that they wanted to send out into battle. Now, their one man was huge, right? He was a giant. His name was Goliath. And they said, we're going to send out our champion. In Israel, you send out your champion, and instead of all of us fighting and all of us dying, we're going to send one man to fight our battles against your one man, and whoever wins is the winner. That was what a champion was. It was somebody that went out and fought in the place of everybody else. 
Jesus is our champion. We don't have to fight our own battles. He goes out and fights our battles for us because he is a mighty God. One other little thing before we get into the meat of the message today is found in Exodus chapter 14. And I'm actually going to read um, a little bit more of this because I just, I just think it's a really cool story. So um, in Exodus chapter 14, what you have is you have the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And uh, they finally get set free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, God has directed them to go a certain direction. The, the bad thing is um, they're thinking God's GPS is wrong, right? Because God sends them straight to the ocean. Like there was another path that was a lot easier. Instead, they go straight to the Red Sea. And so as they're going to the Red Sea, they turn around and they realize that Egypt, although Pharaoh had allowed them to leave, now Pharaoh has changed his mind and he is chasing them down with his entire army. And so the Israelites are very upset. Their leader, Moses, is, uh, is there trying to lead, but the people are yelling and screaming at him. And so here's what verse 10, this is in the, it's not on the screen, Lexi. So uh, it, it says this, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Let me just tell you right off the bat, one of the problems with the Israelites is always that they're looking at the wrong things. It says they lifted up their eyes. And who were they looking at? Were they looking at the God who led them out of Egypt? Were they looking at the man Moses who helped direct them and lead them out of Egypt? No. They were looking back at their enemy. They were always looking back at their place of sin. They were looking back at their place of slavery. They were looking back and they had fear on their lives. And that's exactly what we're like sometimes. We walk through this life and, and, and something bad happens at our job or something bad happens in the government or the economy starts going down. And the first thing we look at is we look at all the things that can't help us. We look at all of our enemies instead of looking at our champion, right? So here's what it says. They, they, they feared and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, it is because there are no, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're just being smart alecks now. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? In other words, they're saying it would have been better to stay in slavery to be out here in the, in the wilderness with you. Is it not that we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This is so backwards and so stupid. But these Israelites are saying we would rather be slaves and alive than free and dead. I'm going to tell you right now, I would rather be free and dead than slaves and alive. And these guys are saying we'd rather be slaves. And Moses, verse 13 says, said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, which is kind of my little key verse here. It says, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. Moses says, you need to stop being afraid because the Lord's going to fight for you. Now shut up, right? Like stop all your whining, stop all your complaining, just be quiet and let God do his job. Here's the coolest part about this story to me is that Moses had no idea what God was going to do. If you read this story in context, sometimes we just read a verse. And if you just read a verse, you don't understand the whole story. If you read just that verse, you're like, man, Moses was this awesome man of faith, and he knew God's plan, and he knew what was going to happen. He knew about the Red Sea. Nope, didn't know any of that stuff. Moses just knew we're trapped. 
We're trapped between a body of water and an army, and we're all going to die unless God does something. And here's what Moses says. Listen, everybody, stop being afraid and shut your mouth. Watch God fight for us. And Moses didn't have a clue what was going to happen. You know what? In your life, you don't have to know God's plan for every single step. Sometimes you just have to trust him that he's going to fight for you. Keep your mouth shut, stop complaining, and trust in what God wants to do in you and through you. And that's what Moses was saying to these people. He's saying, listen, I don't even know the plan. I don't know how God's going to get us across the water. Moses didn't know if the water was going to part. He didn't know if they were going to walk right across it. He didn't know if God was going to build a bridge. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just said, let's trust in God and let's see what God does. So that brings us today to this, this idea of Jesus being our champion. Here's what we need to do. We need to learn how to be silent in trust in our champion. Be silent in trust in the mighty God that has come to save us and deliver us. So if he's mighty, what is he mightier than? I'm going to give you um, six different areas of life that he's mightier than. Things that he's bigger than. There's an there's a old show. How many of you remember VeggieTales? Anybody remember VeggieTales? Yes, yes, yes. And, and there was this one... Um, I'm a little bit old for VeggieTales, but I was a children's pastor, so uh, when VeggieTales came out, so we showed VeggieTales a lot when I was a kid's pastor, and one of the songs was, God is bigger than the boogeyman, right? Um, and, and so uh, when I was preparing this message, that's all I could think about was, God is bigger than the boogeyman. I'm not going to sing it, because it would, it would horrify you, but um, I thought, God is bigger than the boogeyman. And, and we say that to little kids, but listen, as adults, we need to hear that too. God is bigger. Jesus is bigger. Jesus is mightier. What's he mightier than? First of all, he's mightier than nature. He's mightier than nature. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that nature itself cries out to God. That nature itself is subject to God. So God is mightier than nature. Whenever Jesus was on the water and the storms were coming in, what did he do? He spoke to them. He didn't have to put up his hand. He didn't have to hold up a stick. He just spoke to them and the storms calmed down. God is mightier than nature. And listen, nature affects a lot of the stuff that we deal with today. If nature is bad, stock markets go down, and that affects all of us. If nature is bad, what do we, what's the big, uh, the big word right now is climate change, and, and it's all about climate change, and it's all about uh, emissions, and it's all about this stuff. Listen, God is bigger. Jesus is bigger than all of that. And, and let me say something real quick. Let me, uh, let me step into my little political soapbox for a second. Um, I absolutely believe in conservation. I believe that you've got to take care of the world. God created the world. Why would I throw trash on it, right? Like, like let's not throw trash out. Let's not be, be um, bad stewards of the world. But at the same time, I also recognize the fact that Jesus even says that, that it's, the world is going through um, like, like pains, like birth pains, knowing that the end is coming near. And last time I checked, in the very end, a lot of what we see is going to burn. So you need to understand that, that this whole idea, before you get super political on all this stuff, you need to understand that climate change will happen whether we want it to or not. It doesn't matter how many billions of dollars you spend on green energy. At some point, it's all going to burn up anyway, right? Um, that's not to say we don't still don't throw trash out. Um, so Jesus is bigger than nature. There was um, a time whenever um, our son was being born, when G2 was being born, and, and we lived in Mobile, and so he was being born right in the middle of a hurricane. I mean, like... Like, he's being born, and this hurricane is coming into the Gulf, and it's coming right at the, the city of Mobile. And so we were concerned. As a matter of fact, it was, so, it was potentially going to be so bad that they ended up just keeping us in the hospital. You know how it is with people that have babies. They, they get you in and get you out. Like, two days, you're gone. We stayed in the hospital almost a week 
because they were afraid if they sent us home, there wouldn't be power. They wouldn't know if our house would even be there whenever we got back. I mean, it was like, it was that bad of a hurricane coming into Mobile. And I remember my mother-in-law had to stay in the hospital room with us for five days. Fellas, think about that for a minute. No matter how much you love your mother-in-law, do you want her in the hospital room with you for five days? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say I did or didn't. She's not here today, but Jesse would like it, but I, you know, it was a struggle. So she's with us for five days, and that, that hurricane's coming in. And I remember my mother-in-law praying one day, and she began to pray against the hurricane. And, and as she prayed against the hurricane, she literally said these words. She said, uh, she asked God to, to pluck out the eye of the hurricane. And I thought, what a silly prayer. You know, like, seriously, pluck out the eye of the hurricane. Like, you're using puns in your prayer. And um, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they said, the storm is dying down. The eye began to collapse on itself. And I was like, I will never doubt my mother-in-law's prayers again, <laughs> ever. What's the point? The point is, even in the biggest of circumstances, even in the scariest storms, that he's bigger than the storms. He's bigger than nature. My, um, my dad used to tell a story of some family members of his. I can't remember who it was. Um, but they had a tornado coming through their town. And they had this little house that wasn't built very well, no storm shelter or anything. And they just decided to go get in bed. And it was like, you know what? God protect us. And if you don't, it is what it is. Like, you know, we're going home. We're getting in bed. We're going to get a good night's sleep. Either way, we're going to go to bed. You know, this is kind of my philosophy on tornadoes too. And so um, they got in the bed. And, and, and as they got in the bed, the tornado came and it ripped the house apart, but left them in the bed with the sheets covering them up. I mean, like, that's crazy. And y'all are sitting there going, that's a made-up story. It's not. It's not, right? Am I telling the truth or am I lying? I'm telling the truth. And, and it's, it's not, but what, what am I saying? I'm saying that God is bigger. Jesus is bigger. He is a mighty God. He's bigger than nature. The next thing he's bigger than, he's bigger than sickness. And obviously, we know that he's bigger than all illnesses. I get that. Um, as a matter of fact, you, you read through the Gospels how many times Jesus healed people over and over and over again. Some of my favorite healing stories, though, aren't the ones where he goes and heals them. Some of my favorite healing stories are the ones where people came and found him. I love the story of the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that she had a, a, a bleeding problem for, for 12 years and she couldn't get it to stop. And she went to doctor after doctor after doctor and couldn't get the bleeding to stop. And she said, if I can just touch Jesus, like I don't even need him to pray for me. I don't need him to lay hands on me. I don't need him to do anything special. If I can just reach out and touch him, then I know he can heal me. And she did. She fought through a crowd and touched him and she was healed. These stories are amazing. And I love to see God heal sickness. And we've seen that over and over again. All you got to do is talk to Jonathan and Anna. They're great people to talk to about this. You can talk to Jesse and Wendy about this. Um, We've seen God heal bodies Whenever the doctor said you will never be able to have a child again. And now all of a sudden we've got kids in the nursery that, that their parents were told they would never be able to have kids again. Jesse and Wendy had that happen. Jonathan and Anna had that happen to them. God is a miraculous God and he can still heal the sick. Jesus is bigger than sickness. But let me tell you another way of healing that he wants to heal us in. And this one can apply to really all of us. As we're coming out of our series talking about mind games... Um, going into the Christmas season, we still struggle sometimes with some of those depressions and anxieties and different things. So he also wants to heal us emotionally. He doesn't want to just heal our body. He wants to heal our soul. Matthew uh, eleven twenty eight through 30 says this, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you're facing mental sickness today, when you're facing soul sickness today, you've got a champion, you've got a mighty God that is willing to stand between you and that sickness and bring healing for you. John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Notice he didn't say you're always going to be healthy. He didn't say you're never going to get a virus, you're never going to get a cold, you're never going to break your leg. He didn't say that. He said your body may break down because that's what it does naturally. But listen to what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He's bigger than sickness. He's also bigger than lack. He's bigger than lack. As a matter of fact, um, some of you are looking at me funny like, what is lack? Lack is not having something, right? We all have times when we have lack, right? Like, like I may not have much, but I got a lot of lack. You know, I got a, I got a lot of areas where I don't have a lot. So um, you got to understand something. He's bigger than the areas where you're lacking in. He's bigger than that. Um, I think it's funny. And, uh, and, and Perry, I think Perry told me I wasn't allowed to say this. I can't remember now. But I don't see her. She must have slipped out so I can say what I want to. But I preached a couple of, I, I preached a couple months back. And I was talking about shoes and I was talking about how I love shoes or whatever and and I said but I'm being really good and I haven't bought shoes in a really long time and I really hadn't up until that point I hadn't bought any shoes in like I don't know like almost a year or something like that and and then all and some of you guys are like I haven't bought shoes in 30 years Gabriel but um but I hadn't bought shoes in a long time and all of a sudden in the last couple of months I have been gifted three pair of shoes and it's so funny um even though that wasn't an area of lack God still provided I don't know why I think God's just funny. But here's what the Bible says about Jesus providing or, or being mightier than lack. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 6, verses 41 through 44. Some of you know this story. It's a story of where Jesus is preaching. He's got probably close to 20,000 people, although at, that, at this um, era they only counted the men. So it's 5,000 men and their families are there. And so as, as he's preaching to all these people, it's getting late in the night. He wants to send them home, but he doesn't want to send them home hungry. And so he says this. He says, what do you guys have talking to his disciples? His disciples are like, all we've got is five loaves of bread and two little fish. And Jesus says, bring those to me. We're going to make this work. You got a snack pack? I can do something with this. And so, so he takes their lack. He takes their little. He takes their not much. And in verse 41, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces... Notice the wording here. He kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all, who all, all 5,000 men plus their families ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. What does Jesus do? Jesus can take what little bit you have and he can multiply it. He can bless it. And some of us may say, I don't have much, Gabriel. I don't have much to give or I don't have much talent or I don't have much ability or I don't have uh, much to provide for my family. He can take what little bit you have if you're willing to put it in his hands and he can multiply it and multiply it and keep giving it out. This isn't a prosperity gospel. It is a gospel of provision. It's a gospel of my God is bigger than what I lack. 
I'm not saying God's going to give everybody a, a, a Mercedes Benz and he's not going to give everybody a mansion. But I am going to say this. He can provide for your every need when you don't know how to get it. When you're standing between the ocean and the armies of, of Egypt and you're saying, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what to do. I have no plan. God can provide for you. We share over and over different stories, but, but I'm going to tell you in my family right now with, with my wife and, and my kids, all through our life we've tithed. We always tithe. We always tithe. Every, every time we get money, we tithe on it. And every single time we feel like we lack, God comes through with provision. And it might be some of the dumbest stuff. It might be some of the littlest things that, that no one would ever expect, but God provides every single time. The other day, uh, G2 had to go to school, and he didn't have any gas money, and, and, um, and he didn't have his wallet. He had left his wallet at school, and so, so he's, he's concerned. He says, Dad, can you just give me some money for gas? And that frustrates me because I'm like, you've got a job. I don't want to pay for your gas. And so, um, but I've got to be a good father, and I've got to provide. So I went, and I found Perry's money, and I gave him $20 out of her stash of cash that she hides. She shouldn't tell me where she hides her money. And so I gave him the $20, and... Um, and, and he says, I can't find my wallet. And so I was going down, and I'm looking for his wallet. And as I'm looking for his wallet in his car, I found a $20 bill rolled up under his seat. And I pulled it out. I said, give me your mom's money back, and here's your $20, you know. That's not a big story. It's $20. It's just gas money. He's just a teenager. But can I tell you what that means? It, it shows him as a 16-year-old that if I'm faithful to, to tithe, if I'm faithful to give, if I'm faithful to be generous, that God will provide my every need. Even if he provides it from me losing my money in my own car, he still provides it right on time. Philippians 4.19 says this, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is mightier than lack. The fourth thing that Jesus is mightier than today is he is mightier than death. He's mightier than death. And some of you may say, he can't be mightier than death because my grandma died and I prayed for her to live and she still died. My, my child passed away and I prayed for my child to live and my child still passed away. My parents you know, passed away and I prayed for them to live. And, and so Gabriel, if he's mightier than death, then these people would still live. Can I just tell you something? The Bible says that Jesus raised people from the dead. But guess what? Those people still ended up dying again later. Otherwise, Lazarus would still be running around somewhere, right? And he's not. He's dead. The fact is, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes a judgment... The writer of Hebrews says, we're all destined to die. We all have a date with death. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. We all die at least once. We're all going to die. And so you need to understand that whenever we pray for someone to live and they still die, it may have been their appointed time to die. But it doesn't mean Jesus isn't still mightier than death. Because here's the cool thing about Jesus. Yes, we still die, but Jesus gives us life after death. How can I be stronger than death? By giving you life afterwards. The Bible says in John, there's a lot, John talks about this a lot. So John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. This part is huge. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. 
John 3.16, For this is how God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Finally, Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old, Listen to this word. I love the way this is worded. For the old order of things has passed away. In other words, he, he does away with even the order, the, even the, the, the path of death and, and destruction. He does away with all of that in the end. Death is not the final uh, chapter of your life. Because once you die, Paul says, he says, when I die, it's good because I get to be with Jesus. He says, if I live, I'm with Christ. If I die, I'm with Christ. In other words, there is everlasting life for those who believe in him after death. So death is, is defeated by Jesus. He's mightier than death. The fifth thing Jesus is mightier than, we only have two more. He's mightier than Satan. As a matter of fact, he's mightier than Satan in the past. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity, this is God speaking to Satan. Um, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you might get a bite in, but he's going to crush you. He's going to crush you. He defeated, he defeated Satan in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. Every time Satan tried to tempt Jesus, he came back with the word, with the word, with the word. He defeated him. He defeated demons over and over again throughout the Gospels. Every time someone came up to him that was demon-possessed, Jesus would cast the demons out. He would set people free from demonic oppression. He defeated Satan at the cross, Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then he will defeat Satan in the future. Revelation two, uh, 20, verses 7 through 10, it says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and consumed them. I love the fact that whenever, whenever you watch a movie, right, how many of you like Rocky movies? Man, I grew up on Rocky, man. Rocky III when I was a little kid. Mr. T, I love that movie, right? I loved it. Uh, Rocky IV, Rocky IV whenever, whenever he has to fight the big Russian guy, and that's an awesome, awesome movie, but Apollo dies in Rocky IV. And in Rocky IV, my parents went to the movie theater to watch Rocky IV in the movie theater, and as they're doing it and Apollo dies, my mom begins to scream and cry out, No! And she's weeping and crying. And my dad got so embarrassed. He said, we're leaving if you don't shut that mess up. Right? Like he was just so embarrassed. But in a movie, in a movie, you always have these battles at the end. Like, like Rocky's getting beat by the Russian. And, and Rocky's down and he's out. And he, he, he doesn't know if he's going to make it anymore. And he has a little dream sequence of, of his wife, of Adrian or his kids or whatever the case is. And he finds a way to get back up the ropes, right? And he gets back in there. And all of a sudden, he musters all this strength. And he barely beats the Russian. And he wins. But when he wins, he's just like barely hanging on. And they're having to hold him up. And he's bloody and and I love the fact that whenever John gets this revelation from Christ about what the end times are going to look like, I love the fact that the battle is not like that at all. I love the fact that it says that Satan shows up with his armies, and it's almost like a little blurb, like, like blinking, you miss it, but fire came down from heaven and consumed all of them. Like, that was it. It was over. Just Like, they all showed up ready to fight, and it's like, pfft, dead. It's fire, and you're gone. 
And it says, And then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's like the victory over Satan is just so easy for Jesus. And you may say, well, why doesn't he just kill him now? Well, because there's a plan in place. And listen, let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't want you to love him because you don't have any choices. He allows Satan to tempt us to give us the option. He wants you to choose him. Not follow blindly. Not just have no other option. Not be a robot. He wants you to choose him. And so he gives you both sides of the story. But there comes a day when Jesus will defeat Satan once and for all, and it'll be easy. He won't be climbing up the ropes, bloody and battered, barely getting a shot in. The Bible says just fire comes down, boom, over, done. The last one is this. He is mightier than sin. He's mightier than sin. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, he had a plan for our victory. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us at this, as this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, even while you and I are still in our sin, even whenever we didn't know God, didn't care anything about God, even whenever we hated him and we were his enemies, he still decided to have a plan to rescue you from sin. I've heard this over and over, and I'm almost tired of hearing it. People keep saying, you don't know what I've done. You just don't know what I've done, Gabriel. You don't understand the bad things that I've done in my past. How could God forgive me for what I've done? And, and over and over, I want to just say, you just don't know Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter what you've done. You just don't know him. If you knew him, you would know that he can forgive any and every sin. There is no sin that can hold him back. He is bigger. He is mightier than anything. Peter denied even knowing Christ, and he was, he was forgiven. Paul persecuted his believers, murdered Christians. Anybody in here murdered Christians lately? Probably not. Don't raise your hands if you have. You probably haven't done anything that bad. And listen, Paul was still forgiven and still used by Christ. Why? Because he still forgives sins. He's mightier than any sin you've committed in your past. No matter how bad you think it was or how bad you think you are, the scripture is very clear. All we have to do is confess our sins. Be open and honest about what we've done. Stop trying to hide things. The Bible says Adam and Eve sinned and the first thing they did was try to hide in the bushes away from God until God called them out into the light. Listen, stop trying to hide your sin. Just expose it. Tell God about it. Tell an accountability partner about it. Tell a pastor about it. Somebody that can pray with you and help you. And the Bible says not only will you be forgiven, but you will be healed. Repent of your sin. Stop doing it. I wish I, I, wish I had it to show, but there's this old uh, sketch comedy show, and it, and it was the Bob Newhart, if you know who Bob Newhart is, he was on the show this day, and, and he was pretending to be a... Uh, a, a psychiatrist and my dad posted this online and, and, and he's pretending to be a psychiatrist and this woman comes in and she says I'm so afraid of being buried alive in a box and she begins to go through all these fears of being afraid and finally the psychiatrist says okay I, I, I just I have two words for you that's going to help you out immensely if you'll just take these words and apply them to your life and she says okay what are they and he says stop it you know she goes what do you mean just stop it and he says she says, like, if I'm afraid of being buried alive in a box, yeah, stop it. Stop being afraid, right? Listen, can I just tell you something today? 
what Jesus says. And I know, I know, I know it's not easy. I know if you've got an addiction, I know if you've got a sin in your life, if you've got a lifestyle, if you've got a habit, I know it's not easy to turn away from that. But Jesus says this, repent, like just stop it. Stop going that direction and turn and follow me. If you would just come closer to me, I'm bigger than all that sin. I can help you get through it. I can help you get past it. Colossians, I got two verses for you. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, even when you didn't know me, even when you were full of sin, even uncircumcision of your flesh means this, not having a covenant with me. Even when you didn't have a covenant with me, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Which sins did he forgive? Does the Bible there say that he forgave all the sins that you committed that weren't that bad? He only forgave all of your lying. He only forgave the time you cheated on that test. He's not going to forgive the time you cheated on your spouse, though. That's too big. No. He forgives all our sins. Every one of them. Everything you've done. Everything I've done. He can forgive all of our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. There was a time, the picture that, that Paul is painting here to the Colossian church is, is there was a time whenever you had debt. If you had um, a crime, you had an issue, they would bring literally like a piece of paper They'd bring that piece of paper to you to show exactly what it is you've done, exactly what it is that you owe. And Satan shows up and he brings this piece of paper and he says, you owe me, Sean, all the sins you've committed. You owe me death. That's the payment. But the Bible says, Paul says that Jesus comes and he takes that paper. He takes that contract and he goes and he does something special with it. He nails it to the cross right through his hands and right through his feet. He dies so that we can be forgiven. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, He personally carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By His wounds you are healed. This is Peter speaking. Peter literally watched Jesus die on the cross. Paul didn't see it. Although Paul's got some good perspective, Paul didn't see it. Peter watched it happen. And not only did Peter watch it happen, he says he he took our sins. Peter was in sin when Jesus was put on the cross. So Peter's looking back saying, I know I was in sin. I know I had guilt and shame. I know I was jacked up. I was messed up. I wasn't going to heaven. I wasn't serving God. I wasn't doing the right thing. But Jesus took all of that mess and carried it on himself. He put it in his own body and he killed it on the cross. Why don't you stand up with me today? There may be some of us in this room today that we're like the, we're like the Israelites. We're afraid. You may be watching online today and you're afraid, you're, you're anxious, you're worried, you're scared. There's something in nature, there's something in our past, right? There's something uh, going on with our sickness or, or, or with, 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 um, with sin or, or maybe with Satan. There's death looming over us. We're afraid of something. The illustration I used earlier about David and Goliath, the Bible says that the Israelites were so scared of Goliath that they wouldn't send anybody out. <laughs> 
They were just sitting back. They're like, we're not even going to send a champion out. Like, we're so scared. We can't send anybody out. And here comes David, this kid, just this childlike faith. He just believed in God. He just trusted God. He said, I'm going to go out there. I mean, what's the worst that can happen, right? Like, I'm just going to trust God. And they're like, what kind of armor are you going to wear? Like, what kind of body armor are you going to put on? What kind of gun are you going to carry? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just going to take a couple rocks. Like, that's, I just trust God. Like, God's going to do something. Like, God will provide. Moses is sitting there, and everybody's whining and complaining, and they see the army breathing down their neck, and they see the ocean blocking their path, and and everybody's like, Moses, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm just going to shut up, and I'm going to just trust God. Like, God's going to do something, because he's the God that fights for us. All of mankind is living in sin, and they, they keep trying to keep the law, and they keep failing to keep the law, and mankind doesn't know what to do, and God says, I'll send a champion I'll send a champion to stand between death and my people. I'll send a champion to stand between sin and my people. I'll send a champion to stand between nature and my people. I'll send a champion to stand between sickness and my people. And he'll stand there and he will be the one that fights for my people. He will be a mighty God. Won't you bow your heads with me this morning? Take just a moment. Take just a moment. If you're at home today watching, close your eyes for just a moment. And I just want you to see... What is the area right now that I'm worried about? What is the area right now that I'm scared about? What is the area right now that I see the enemy and I've been, I've been whining and I've been complaining, I've been calling out to God, I see the enemy and I don't know what to do. I've got my spot right now, like I've got it in my head. I know exactly the area where my anxiety gets high very quickly. What's your area today? What's your enemy today? What's the bully today that keeps picking on you? He keeps picking on your mind. He keeps picking on your family. He keeps picking on your job. He keeps filling you up with fear and anxiety. He's threatening you today. What is that bully? I want you to put a picture. I want you to put a face with that bully. I want you to, whatever it is. Maybe it's your finances today, and you're saying, I'm afraid of lack. I'm afraid of not having enough. What, what, is, that, is that it? Put a, put a picture on it. Think about it today. Is it nature? Is it all the, the virus stuff just still has you wrapped up in fear? Maybe it's sin today. Maybe you're so afraid that you can't move forward because of what you've done in your past. You feel tied to your past and you can't advance in what God wants for your life. Maybe it's Satan. Maybe you're scared. You're scared. Maybe it's death. Whatever it is today, whatever it is today, let's picture that. And here's what I want you to do. Just very simply, I'm going to pray for you. But as I'm praying, I want you just to take in your hand and I want you just to grip Whatever it is, just imagine with me. I know it's kind of pretend, but just imagine with me today. So I know my area of anxiety. I got it. I've got it in my head. And right now I'm just pretending like I'm holding on to it because you know what? The reason I'm anxious is because I try to take control of something, right? I'm not letting God control it. I'm not trusting him. So I'm going to hold on to that anxiety right now. And here's what I do. I'm going to pray for you. When I get done praying, I want you just to let it go. I just want you to turn it over to God. And you can pray your own prayer. You don't have to pray after me. You don't have to follow my lead. You pray your own prayer and you begin to tell God that you want to let go and you want to trust in him. So Jesus, we come to you today and we know that you are mighty. 
you are mighty. You're mightier than the nature. You're mightier than lack. You're mightier than sickness. You're mightier than sin. You're mightier than Satan, and you're mightier than death. And so, God, today we just come before you, and we're holding on to our anxiety. We're holding on to our fear. God, maybe we're holding on to our sin. There's this one area that we haven't wanted to let go of. We're not serving you today. We're not, we're not living for you because we've been holding on to this sin, and we haven't been willing to repent of it. But today we want to let go of it. We want to let go of this fear, God, this fear of lack or this fear of sickness or this fear of death. We want to let go of it today. It's holding us back. It's keeping us bound. Y'all, we've been calling out. We've been crying out. We've been scared. We've been worried. We've been complaining. But today we want to just trust in you that you're going to open up a path. We want to trust in you that you're going to be our champion, that you're going to fight for us, that when the bully, the devil shows up and begins to tempt us and begins to put fear in our brains, God, we know that you're going to show up. Jesus, you're going to be there to stand and fight for us. So today, if you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ, do it, man. Repent today. Give him your life. Tell him he's going to be the Lord and your Savior. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. And then allow him to do that work in you. Turn away from your sin. Don't keep going that direction. If you need to repent of this fear, you need to get over that fear, whatever the case is today, I encourage you right now in your prayer to do that. God, we sit here and we're holding on to this mess. And in Jesus' name, we want to trust you. In Jesus' name, we want to give it all to you. In Jesus' name, we want to lay everything down. So when I count to three, I want you just to let it go. Whatever you're holding on to today, let's let it go. One, get a picture in your head, know what it is. Two, it's going to try to come back. But Jesus already defeated Satan in the temptation realm. So he knows, he knows how to defeat him when the temptation comes back. Three, let's just let go of it. Let's just let go of it. Let's begin to tell God today that we trust him. On your own, you begin to pray. You begin to call out to him. Just say, God, I trust you today. Jesus, I trust you today. Jesus, I give you my family. I give you my health. I give you my mind. I give you my my money. I give you my, my business. Jesus, I trust you today. I'm letting go of everything. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not trying to live this myself. I give you my habits. I give you my desires. I give you my sin. I let everything go today because I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I give you my family today. I, I want to let go. I want to allow you to do the work that you're doing. I let everything go. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you today. In Jesus' name, amen.